Gospel of Luke uh, has this theology of how God desires to, uh, God desires Christians and, and is working in his own way to reach the poor, to bring justice where there is injustice, and to relieve oppression. And then in the Gospel of Mark, with the high schoolers, we've been looking at this theme of discipleship failure, how often where we fail, Jesus is succeeding, where Jesus is um, going the distance where we're falling short. And so the theology of Hebrews, one of them, one of the themes that you'll find as you read through this book, is you'll see a series of statements that talk about this perseverance that's needed in the Christian life, that we need to continue on in the race, to, to persevere in the fight. When you get to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14, you read, We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And we know that we are in Christ. And, and you get to chapter 4, and he, the writer says, We need to make every effort to continue on, to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And in chapter 10, he continues, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Later in chapter 10, he writes that our believing is only true believing if we persevere. The mark of a Christian is that they persevere in their, in their faith. They hold on. They don't shrink back. They're not destroyed, but they are saved. And then the writer in Hebrews in chapter 11 gives a long list of examples of great men and women of faith who have persevered, who have ho- held on to their, to their convictions. Um, and that there is this incentive to looking at those who have run and run well all the way to the finish line. So we come to the end of chapter 11, and that's where we land today in chapter 12, where we find our passage. So the passage will be on the screen behind me, and you can read along as I read aloud. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that, entangle, that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me pray for us real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for being a God who cares deeply about us, who sent his son to, to run this race before us um, so we would have an example to look through. Lord, I pray that as we get into this passage, you would change our lives to be more reflective of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see after inspiration from uh, chapter 11, this great hall of faith from David and Moses and Abraham, yet another exhortation to press on, to persevere in this race. What the writer is doing here is more than just a simple encouragement. You see, I think he's pushing back at this all-too-common casual approach to Christianity, this casual approach to Christianity, which is the result of an overemphasis of a key biblical truth. So this is the biblical truth, that we rest alone on the work of Jesus Christ, that our salvation is not found in our own work, but it is a gift. That is definitely true. That is core to what we believe. That is a doctrine we have to hold to. But if we overemphasize that, I think sometimes we get in this state of mind where like the work of Christ saves us, but then we expect the journey of faith to be similar, to be akin to putting our feet up on, on the lazy boy of faith and waiting for the Holy Spirit to just sweep us up into heaven. 
You see, we overemphasize that it's Jesus' work that saves us, so it's, it's also, you know, Jesus' job to do the rest, too, to, to live out a Christian life for us. On Wednesdays, I go with the high school students to uh, Pad's family shelter in Waukegan. And we go up, upstairs, and in the playroom, there's, there's the, the red car with the yellow top on it that you, you can, like, pedal with, you kind of, like, push with your feet, like the Flintstones, and you walk around the room. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't take long for those kids to, to start clamoring for us to push them around the room faster and faster. You know, push us, push us. You see, when the writer of Hebrews says that over and over again, we need to hold firm, to press on, to persevere in our faith, you get the ideas that the readers may be in danger of the same miscalculation, that they're saying, push us, push us. We're not, we're not going to do the pedaling ourselves. We're not going to walk this life that you've called us to. We want you to do it for us. And so he's pushing back against this overemphasis. So while Jesus' work completely saves us apart from our own work, the journey of faith is one where the Christian must press on. They must press on. And that is the one thing that if you guys walk away and remember anything from this service, it is that the Brotherhood Retreat is on April 19th, 20th, 21st. You can sign up if you're a guy. And uh, two, that we press on. Really just the second, that we press on in our faith. Press on. And there are three keys to running the race well. The first is this, dedication. First key is dedication. In chapter 11, we see all these examples of of those who have done it right, who have have entered the race, run with endurance, and and finished well. This cloud of witnesses gives us a visual of a coliseum, the stands filled with former athletes, David, Gideon, others, observing as we run the race that they ran before. And in order to run well, to run with endurance, the writer prompts his reader to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now imagine you're, <coughs> you put on a good pair of winter boots. You love your winter boots. They're, they're beautiful. They're wonderful winter boots. They're the best winter boots you've ever seen. But you make your way to this stadium for the race. And you arrive at the track, and your winter boots are keeping your feet warm, cozy, and they're, they're just really nice. And as you talk to the other competitors on the sideline, uh, they're jealous of how great your winter boots look. Um, and you're fine. You're feeling great. But then the race starts. You're going to be perfectly content to dawdle around on the sidelines. It isn't until you start running that you find that your winter boots are, was a terrible choice. A terrible choice. This is often the case in the casual approach to Christianity. You see, we wait in our lazy boy, content for the Holy Spirit to sanctify us as we lay back and relax. And we miss these things that distract us, these hindrances that distract us from running the race well. You see, once we start running, once we get off the sideline in this casual approach to Christianity, we're on the sideline. Once we get off the sideline and start running, then we start to see pretty quickly what our hindrances are. What is holding us back from our relationship with Christ? You see, to run this race, we need the right gear. We need the right shoes. We can't show up with winter boots. And we can't show up in this race and have all these hindrances slowing us down. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. These are references to different barriers to following Christ. The sin that entangles is sin. We talk about that a lot. Hindrances are these things that are not necessarily sinful. And yet they still distract us from the race. They're still winter boots that we can't run with on the track. I was excited 
uh, when Pastor Mike asked us to speak on this passage because it's full of possibilities for sports analogies. And, and probably my greatest, my greatest hobby, my favorite thing uh, to do in my free time is to watch and play and, and talk about sports. I have a bobblehead collection. I have Joakim Noah, Bulls fans, and, and a racing sausage from the Brewers. You see, my love for sports is deep. However, I, I've realized that sometimes in my life it's supplanting more important things. It, it's becoming a winter boot. Now, loving sports is not a sinful activity in and of itself. In fact, like, it's not wrong to be a Green Bay Packer fan. It's not. In fact, some might say it's the pinnacle of godliness to don the green and gold. But, but, there have been many, many times in my life where I've spent so much time watching and playing and reading about sports and, and talking about sports that I had very little time to be on mission for God, to be praying, to be reading His Word, to be sharing my faith. Right? It became a distraction. It became too much. It became an idol in my life. Basketball. Basketball especially. Basketball, I ate it up. It was my favorite sport. But there have been many times when basketball has been winter boots. It's been a hindrance to my ability to follow Christ. I spent so much time on it. And then, and then I went on this mission trip to China. And one of the things we did was we were, we were trying to share the gospel with college students in China. But the best way to meet college students just happened to be playing basketball. Every day at 2, two or 3 o'clock, all the students would come out and be on the courts. And they loved, they loved when we joined them to play. So I met a ton of students. And it was there when it clicked. You see, I realized that our passions, our gifts, our talents, they're, they're not sinful, not, not in the least. But they were given to us for a reason, not to hinder us, not to distract us from this race, but rather to glorify God. And so as I saw basketball being used as a tool to share the gospel, I realized I need to make sure that there's other hindrances in my life that I'm not letting them become hindrances. I'm making sure that they're helpful. And so you, you kind of have to ask yourself, this, this passion that I have, this, this um, gift that I have, this talent that I have, is it, am I using it to help me run the race? Or, or is it hindering me from running the race? Am I wearing winter boots or running shoes? Take a moment and think about that for yourself. What is it for you? Do you read novels? That's a great activity. But does your reading of novels take up your time in reading so that you never read the Bible? You like to fish. Well, fishing is a great hobby. But does your fishing distract you from fishing for men? You see, these, these hobbies, these jobs, jobs can be a big one too. Your passions, your talent, your time, they're not sinful. But is it helpful? Let us throw off everything that hinders. The second is the sin that entangles. If we are to run with endurance, we must not only make sure that we're not wearing winter boots, but that our shoes are not tied together. I mean, when he says the, the sin that entangles, and you're, you're talking about running a race, I feel like that's just, that's what I, that's what I imagine. You, you, can't, you can hardly move in, in when your shoes are tied together, let alone not fall flat on your face. So we need to make sure that our shoes are not tied together, that this sin is not allowing us to fall. And this is pretty clear-cut, I'd say. It's not easy, but it's clear. It's necessary. If you want to run with endurance, if you want to follow Christ, to hold firmly to your convictions, to grab on to your faith, to persevere through trials, then we can't be comfortable in sin. We can't say this sin is okay, this sin is not. All sin is not okay. 
See, Jesus died because of our sin, and, and nowhere in Scripture does God say, yeah, this sin is this sin's not so bad. I'm okay with this. I'm cool with this. God doesn't say that. He takes sin seriously. And so when Paul writes in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace increases all the more? His answer is clear. By no means, he says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And so if we are to run the race well, to cross the finish line, we also must take sin seriously. We must cut it out of our lives quickly. And this training in godliness, this getting rid of hindrances, this cutting out of sin that entangles, this is key. We have to be dedicated. Dedication, that's key number one to running well. Dedication. The second is inspiration. Dedication and inspiration. You see, we saw the writer points to many inspirational people of faith, the cloud of witnesses described in, in chapter 11. He then gives the ultimate inspiration, the reason that we can even run the race in the first place. Verses 2 and 3 say this, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We begin talking about these verses as, as kind of an antidote to overstating of a Christian truth that Jesus' work on the cross for our behalf accomplishes our salvation. But it doesn't mean that Christianity is a passive religion. Christians are not marked by passivity. But the writer of Hebrews does not go too far in the other direction so that you have this mix of, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith, but it's also works righteousness. No, he doesn't, he doesn't go there. He, he realizes that Jesus is the perfecter, the pioneer, the author. You see, the same faith that we hold, the hold, firmly, hold firmly to is the faith that saves because of what Jesus has done. Jesus is indeed our salvation, the beginning, the middle, the end. There is no doubt about that. He forgives us, he saves us, he redeems us, he restores us, he takes our punishment. He lets no hindrance slow him down, no temptation in it entangle him, and nothing could stop him from running the race perfectly, the race that we couldn't run if he hadn't paid our entry fee. And it was a costly entry fee on the cross. You see, after paying that costly fee so that we could race, he offers this encouragement that nothing... No pain, no agony, no financial trouble, no marital stress, um, no sickness, no death. Nothing can prevent us from crossing the finish line if we just keep Jesus in our sight. If we just allow ourselves to be inspired by the way Jesus lived, if we just follow his pace and his path along this racetrack. So we're going through the Gospel of Luke, and I, and I just encourage you all to to take this as a great opportunity to, to learn what it means to follow Jesus on this, race class, on this race track. To just really focus in on what Jesus does in the book of Luke and just fix your eyes on him. To just be inspired by him. Christian life is often uphill. It's often rugged. But the beautiful truth about our God is that he would not only allow us to run it for him, but that he would run it before us. He would give us this opportunity to see how he ran and to follow in that path. Dedication, inspiration. 
the third and, and final key to running the race, to pressing on, is, is this visualization. Visualiz visualization. Visualization. One, <laughs> one more illustration, and then, then we'll conclude our time, but I'm going to take a drink of water before I get it. All right. In 1962, there was this young woman named Florence Chadwick, and she stepped into the Pacific Ocean, determined to swim the 26 miles from Catalina Island to the California coastline. Small boats watched for sharks, and they floated beside her along the way. After about 15 hours, though, a thick fog set in. She could no longer see very far ahead, and it, it became thicker and thicker. And it, after this 15 hours, Florence was exhausted. She was cold. The muscles in her body were aching from the, from the trip. She swam for an, about another hour with her mother's encouragement. Her mother was in one of the boats beside her. And then she could do no more, and she asked to be pulled out. As she climbed into the boat and they set off for shore, she realized that she was less than a mile from the coast. She was less than a mile from finishing the race. At the news conference the next day, she said this, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus saw the shore. And in that night, uh, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he cried out to God to take the cup from him, but not my will, but yours be done, you could, you could just tell that he saw the shore. He saw the result. He saw that he was not only going to be at the right hand of God, but that he was going to bring us to the finish line behind him. You guys, if we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, we can see this shore, we can run with perseverance, we can press on. Great runners, after crossing the finish line, often fall to their knees, and then they, they get wrapped in their country's flag, and they sing their country's anthem. And I just imagine that if, if we can be dedicated, if we can be inspired, and if we can visualize this shore, this being at the finish line in the presence of God, we will cross into that, we will cross that finish line, we will get there, we will arrive, and we will also fall to our knees, but not in exhaustion. And we'll be in worship, and we will also sing, and it will be praises to God, and we will be wrapped in the light of His glory. We need to run well. We need to persevere. We need to press on. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you all. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for who you are. We praise you that you are the great I am. We praise you that love came down to rescue us. We praise you that you've paid our entry fee into the race, and now we just ask that you would strengthen our legs to run. Give us dedication, Lord. I pray that you would um, just make it clear what hindrances and sins we have. We give it all to you, and we look forward to the finish line. In Jesus' name, amen.